Welcome everyone to the USL show. This is Phil. Uh, as I said earlier, we're flying by the seat of our pants and uh, my wife's making faces in the window behind me. Um, yeah, I'm in Florida on vacation. So things are a little crazy tonight, but thank goodness we have the ladies here to join us from uh, Soccer Better and many Yay. other things. Uh, let's start with introductions. Laura Ellen, you've been on the show before. Welcome back. I have. Thanks for having me back a bit in a different, well, a little bit of a different capacity today. I can't wait to talk about soccer better um, and the intersection of two things that I hold very dearly in my life, which uh, are soccer and research. Uh, so totally nerding out. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be back on the USL show. Without a doubt. It's always fun having you here. So it's been a while. This is a perfect time uh, with all that's going on. Uh, but before we get into it, let's introduce Liz Brokaw. You may know Josh Brokaw from uh, Mongols. Uh, but Liz, uh, you're married to Josh, but you play such a huge <laughs> role in the board for BGN um, and uh, people may or may not know that, but I know you, you play a huge part in that. And I appreciate your input every time I'm a part of that. Thanks. I try. Um, yeah, I got into soccer cause of friends. So mostly I'm color commentary. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's the more fun part. I would say I'm just, so. I'm just starting to learn tactics and I'll say things and I'll be like, but, but is that right? And someone has to <laughs> tell me whether or not I'm crazy and that's cool. Perfect. Uh, before, again, before we dig into um, soccer better, uh, well, let's make sure everybody knows that Ryan is here. Ryan, how are you doing tonight, man? Oh, man, he's been in I'm and out. Right. I, uh, oh, there you are. I wish I could have the... Uh... Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. I wish my Wi-Fi was cooperating a lot better, so I'm just on audio feed tonight, but just kind of recovering from a weekend of DC United and Richmond kickers after the 21st birthday celebrations. Ah, congrats, man. And happy birthday. You looks like you had a really good time. How was it? <laughs> it was a lot of fun and being 21 is expensive because beers at <laughs> DC United stadium was $13. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Even when you drink the cheap ones, sometimes I end up drinking the cheap ones and I have three of those instead of one expensive one. So it all kind of evens out in the end anyway, but um, it was a lot of fun. Good, man. Good. The game was good. I didn't really catch the score or anything like that. It was a 2-2 draw. DC United had the equalizer in about the 86th or 87th minute, and uh, Rooney had a few corners taken right in front of our corner. Nice. Nice. And you were wearing the DC scarf, so you were kind of rooting for them for the, on the day, I guess, huh? Yeah, on the day, yeah. And then for the Richmond game, I was just there as a neutral. I, I did it. I was able to see a Ricardo Pepe played, and I was very impressed with how he did for North Texas. Oh, sweet. Yeah, that's cool. Especially looking into our distant future, that'll be one to remember for sure. So, good one. Uh, great. Let's dig into it. Um, soccer better. Um, Liz, why don't you tell us like how this kind of started out? I want to hear from you a little bit here. And... Um, I, actually, I really want to start with what you guys both do for a living slash, you know, what you're studying, <laughs> because people probably definitely don't know that. I, sure. and, and it's impressive. So I am a, an attorney. I don't enjoy going to court. So I chose to go the corporate route and I do privacy law. Right now I'm in the healthcare space. So I deal a lot with HIPAA, but we kind of have to do everything. So anytime that you are wondering, you know, why is this company using my information? How are they allowed to use it? When can they contact me? How many times are they allowed to text me? 
I have to learn all of those regulations. And that's what I do. Mm -hmm. I love it. And, and like I said, when you kind of chime in with the board, a lot of the like really practical stuff is the real lawyery stuff, which has been a huge (laughs) help for us all. But Um, I love your ideas too. You and Josh are just like such a cool team, to be honest. That's not true for all married people. (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're very different people. Like we get along great. I mean, we're married, obviously we've been married for, um, 10 years and we really like doing the same things. But if you ever see us at tailgate or you come to a game, we don't tailgate (laughs) together. We don't cheer together because we tailgate and cheer in very, very different ways. And quite frankly, he would murder me if he had to be beside me during the game. He just is not happy with how I I cheer. I've yeah. So I don't know what that means specifically, but in my (laughs) case, my wife sometimes has to forget you know, I'm screaming terrible, terrible things and everyone's looking at me. So that's embarrassing for her. What is it for you two, though? How are you different? Yeah, it's more that I'm I'm very vocal and I like to make rude jokes. And I say that's what she said a lot. And he's just like, <laughs> seriously? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is what's happening. I love it. Um, and I curse a lot more than he does. So he's like, you know what? You just do you. And I'm going to go over here and be a normal person. (laughs) Perfect. And that works very well for a lot of married couples. So I endorse that for sure. Um, Laura Ellen, um, what do you, you've been studying for a long, long time last I heard. So, so kind of get us up to date on that and and how you and Liz kind of got together for this. Yeah. So, I mean, I am a PhD student, so I'm still studying. Um, and I probably will be for the next three or four years here. So, um, I'm, getting close to the halfway point, um, of my, of my PhD program. So I'm getting, uh, my PhD in social work. And while that, you know, people think a lot of things about social work, but my research is focused on, um, chronic pain management, um, and how we as researchers can do a better job of getting the, the strategies and the ways that we find work best for managing chronic pain to primary care providers, so your PCP that you go see, and then to legislative policymakers, so also on that policy side. Uh, so, so that's what I do, and very similar, actually, to uh, Liz and Josh, uh, my husband, Justin, and I also do not stand near each other uh, <laughs> during uh, Riverhounds games. Uh for, for many of the same reasons, um, you know, I have a very large uh, red, yellow card thing that I like to help encourage the officials um, in order to, to make better uh, decisions. Um, and I see it as, you know, I'm just doing my part as a supporter and as a fan and as an extra set of eyes for the officials. And so I, I feel I'm doing a public service. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Justin probably, you know, wouldn't. Uh, describe it in that way. So, so he likes to kind of give me some, uh, you know, uh, distance during, getting, during the rubber hounds games. I'm getting a very obnoxious vibe from whatever that <laughs> sign says. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. cool, 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 cool. Uh, I love it. I love the, uh, the spouse dynamics that we've covered here so far. Um, but, uh, you know, where does, where does the stats and the, the in-depth research come in as far as what you guys both do on a daily basis? Obviously what you're doing, you're studying a lot, you're having to look into facts and, uh, I know that has to do with better football for sure. Um, or what soccer better? Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, um, so yeah, how does that come in? Let's, let's start with you, Laura Ellen. 
Yeah. So I think, um, you know, for both Liz and I, uh, we think about things uh, in our day jobs very analytically and very critically. And that's just kind of, you know, that's what it means to be a lawyer. And and that's the training that you get. And that's very much what it means to be a researcher. How can we um, think about improvements? How can, you know, we're trained to constantly be asking questions and, and, pursue the the truth and kind of dig in at a deeper level. Um, and so when it came to, uh, re- to, to soccer, you know, soccer is something that I've been doing since first grade, you know, I've been playing soccer since first grade and then have been a, a fan for a very long time. Um, but I always, you know, you always kind of wonder like, okay, you know, just the example of the officials, how can they do a better job? Is there a way from a research perspective that we can help them to do a better job? Um, and so Liz and I, um, we did Mongols, which was um, a bit of an offshoot of Mongols for a bit. And then Mongols had a family meeting and it was actually Josh's idea. He's like, I think you have something there with the research. You should think about that more. And so Liz and I, you know, got coffee one morning before work and and sat down and talked about it. And um, Liz came up with Soccer Better. So I think, Liz, you should definitely describe Soccer Better and kind of where that came from. Right. So that's from, I believe it's Iguain from the Columbus crew. Um, He was doing an interview and, you know, he was asked, how can the team be better? And he said, they need to soccer better. Mm-hmm. And it became like this, this charge. Um, and Josh especially says it all the time. So if he's not happy with what's happening on the field, I will say many foul words and shake my fist. And he'll be like, God, guys, soccer better. <laughs> and so um, it just became something that you were supposed to do. Um, and if if we want to see things change in the soccer world, um, and our first two shows were about, you know, female referees and then um, the LGBT community and how that comes into the soccer soccer world. If we want to see those things change, we need to soccer better as a group. And so we were trying to see how we could take topics that affected, you know, the community, the, the supporters groups, but also the players. And um, our last one was VAR. So that really affects the players and how can we... In- you know, get technology involved. And hopefully people will say, hey, I've seen this problem. What do you think? And we can go see if there's any research on it. I mean, I envision us doing stuff with, you know, training and recovery and the cold therapy. Like there's just so many things that are, that have research behind them. So why not go look at that research and see what it says? And are these things being implemented properly in our opinion, because we're opinionated or, (laughs) Or do we need to give them some advice? And we try to end the show with, you know, what what would we like to see? How would we like to see things change mm-hmm. um, to try and get people started thinking down that road? Yeah, I really like the uh, it's almost like a scholarly approach in the way that you're going is a nice, easy way to sum it up, perhaps. And um, um, you're tackling really great issues. And I love the way you're coming at it. But um you know, let's let's talk about the last episode. Um, I do need to catch up, but I, I, my favorite part about this episode is is you did you were as scholarly as you could be about VAR, and but <laughs> right. I think Liz, you were like I think we all wish we could be more scholarly. There's not much out there about it. We all have a lot of opinions about VAR, right? Right, but it's definitely being used. Um, Laurelin, you know, we she's very good about presenting it up front. Like we have this many articles, or in this case, we only had you know one really great article um, that was scholarly, and then we had a couple of of news pieces, and those are other people's opinions. So it was it was a lot of opinion, uh, but 
because we could look at that one scholarly article and bring it back to those opinion pieces. We could say, you know, maybe they got it right, maybe they got it wrong. And here's something that we saw work or didn't work. So how could we use this article to inform our future decisions? And it gives us the word to go in like a year, you know, come back down and say, is there anything else being done on that scholarly end? I also love that the, on the scholarly end, like you're talking about, there's really no hot takes in these episodes, you know, like it's the fact that it's scholarly almost pushes the hot takes aside. Right. And, and I've, I've, been, I've enjoyed that as well. Laura Allen, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think I, and, and I think that is, uh, that's a really astute observation. I think that, um, one of the things that research and kind of a scholarly approach forces you to do is it forces you to slow down. You can't go about this quickly. Anyone who has done research studies can tell you that everything takes longer than you think it will. Um, and and part of that is just helping you to kind of marinate in the data, marinate in this question and kind of the context that's surrounding it. Um, and when we're able to marinate in it, when we're able to think critically about it, it really helps to inform our perspective. It really helps to inform our decision making. And I think, you know, as fans, as supporters, you know, as commentators, as, you know, podcast hosts, um, it is so critically important, I think, from my perspective, to not just have these like, well, this is just my opinion and blah, 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 but really force ourselves and really have that time of reflection to say, okay, what are the pieces here? What are the factors that are moving? And, you know, what are things that are staying the same? Um, You know, what is the context of the league and how does the league have an effect on, um, you know, female officials, for example, or how do, how does team ownership and team management affect uh, players who identify as LGBT, how, how does that affect their ability to come out and, and be true to themselves and, and be able to exist in a safe space? And, and when we're able to kind of look at the research and, and hear different perspectives, I think that's really, from my perspective, that's where we're really able to get a more well-rounded approach and, and think more broadly and really come up with better support for our own opinions. Um, and again, you know, I think the second episode, uh, which was on um, LGBT players um, in in sports generally, but then also in soccer, you know, that one was very kind of research heavy. I think. Um, I think in in the VAR episode, we tried to scale it back, and there also wasn't a lot there. So I think there is kind of this opportunity to let's think about what's actually happening, but then. Let's think about how that applies to our everyday lives, how that applies to our support of different teams. Um, But then, you know, how that, you know, informs our opinion, Um, which I just think that's that's so exciting. I think that for me has been the most exciting part. And um, I think this is something that we're hoping to build and hopefully, you know, coming and talking to all of you tonight. you know, uh, really beginning this conversation, Liz and I want to hear from people. We want to engage with listeners um, to really think about what are issues that are important or what did we get wrong or what do you disagree with? I think that's um, incredibly important as well. So I know I just talked for a really long time, but I'm clearly very passionate about (laughs) this um, and just yeah, I just and I'm just I think Liz and I are both just having a complete blast doing this. And we're so fortunate that uh, BGN has been 100 percent supportive of us and kind of saying, go for it. Figure this out. We're here to support you. Um, and do. so I think we're just. Yeah. 
And we're just so thankful for that. Yeah, to, not to belabor the point, but I, it's totally fine that you you did go on and you reiterated those sort of thoughts that um, that you, you're trying to kind of keep it even and keeled and, and to not tell everyone what to think, but to really cover all the possibilities. And that's all my favorite podcasts are that way. I'm not into the, the hot take episodes, really. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. Let's you know, that said, um, Listen to the episode. Go back if you haven't heard. Um, I have only heard the VAR one, but I'm going to go back and listen to the other two because I need to hear those points of view. Um, but if someone was to listen to that whole episode um, and after you've done all the research, um, Liz, let's start with you. What are you what are kind of the when after you did all those things, what did you come out thinking about VAR? I didn't realize that how much I think that it should be used in two different ways. So I said it in the episode a couple of times, but depending on the type of thing that you're reviewing, you should either review it in real time or you should review review it in slow-mo. And it's really like, if it's an opinion, if was there a foul, wasn't there a foul, how bad was the foul, that should be reviewed in real time because it those calls drastically change when you review it in slow-mo. Hmm. But if there is you know, maybe there were like three different things happening at once and you're not sure if someone's offside and that's like a yes or no. Like if it's, if it's a simple answer, then if it's a yes, no answer, then that's when slow-mo and pausing the the play and just being like, all right, there it is. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that one second, that's when the slow-mo should really come into play. And I never thought about saying, well, they should use this in two different ways and like they should have the standard and also um, like how the training behind it. So I'm really big on mental health in general. And I, I think I bring it up every show that we've done so far. <laughs> um, but someone telling you, Hey, you probably screwed up or you may have screwed up. And how does that reflect? How do you deal with that so that you continue to make the right decisions? Laurel, and what, what were some thoughts you had as well? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, very similar to what Liz thought. I mean, I do think building off of, of what she said, I think VAR will continue to evolve. I think, uh, for folks who watched many games of the World Cup, and I and I tried to watch as many as I could, not just the U.S. games, but other games as well. Um, but uh, with like several of the rule changes, so specifically as it relates to penalty kicks and kind of where the goalkeeper has to be during the penalty kick and when they can move, like things like that. I think there, my hope is that there will be an evolution of the rules and also an evolution of the use of VAR as we kind of, you know, as it's implemented, you know, this coming year it will be, or this coming season it will be implemented in the Premier League. So I think once, and and again, this is kind of where my nerdiness comes in, but once we get kind of more data, once we get more observations, so not just in Champions League, but also in the Premier League, also in MLS and, and some of these other competitions, once we're able to kind of see it more, I, my hope and this is my hope, is that um, we'll kind of learn from some of those lessons and then be able to adapt its use, you know, whether it's subjective or objective calls, so fouls or things like offsides versus, um, you know, then how do these rules change because of the use of VAR? Um, So that's kind of my perspective. I, I try to kind of be agnostic to technology for technology's sake, but then for me, what's really important is how is this being implemented? Um, and, and so I think that's where the training piece comes in. I think, 
Um, you know, I, and I think it'll, I think it'll change over the next couple of years. I think VAR in five years will look very, very different than it does now. Yeah. Very luke, lukewarm takes in, in that way. <laughs> I, I, but that's what I love. I, I hate that people are freaking out one way or the other, where when it first came in, they said, God, why wasn't this 50 years ago? Everyone's failing miserably. And then it starts becoming maybe weird or strange and people start pushing back on it and saying, this is the worst thing. Get rid of it. We got to we got to sit in this. We got to figure it out. We got to work it out. Right. And that's one of my favorite thoughts about VAR right now. Ryan, I'm sure you have some thoughts about VAR. <laughs> so let's hear at least a couple of yours. Well, after this uh, Champions League run with Spurs benefiting from VAR against Manchester <laughs> City's second leg of the uh, quarterfinals, I'm very in favor of it. <laughs> and personally, on that sporting bias, but as a new, just from a neutral mindset, I think it's just going to, we need just like Laura said, more data points, need more time to kind of experiment with VAR and just go forward, just continually try to improve the system to the best of our capabilities. And just by involving it in more competitions is the only way to really help and improve this. We saw it in Champions League and kind of Premier League this year. So as long as we continually work towards improving it, it can only improve the sport. Completely agree. Ladies, any last thoughts? We'll start with you, Liz. One more thought about VAR or even any of your other episodes because it's so much to dive in there. Yeah, I just, I'm just waiting to see how the conversations go because I need people to challenge me so I need know where to take our research next. Um, it, they're always going to, hopefully they'll always lead to new episodes. Do you know what I mean? So I oh, anticipate yeah. that everything that we've covered this time, we're going to cover again because we're going to get enough feedback or there's going to be something new that happens. Um, so I'm just really excited to see what happens with the feedback once this sh- uh, channel kind of grows. Laura Allen? Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, I think for me, this is about a conversation and and that's one of the great things about research that it's not just one person's opinion. This then becomes a collective perspective and a collective um, thought and research builds on each other so much. And so um, I think the foundation is currently being built when it comes to VAR. Um, and I think also, you know, there was some research on women officials, but you know, there aren't many women officials in soccer, unfortunately, you know, from my perspective. And so, um, you know, there aren't really enough people to really have a solid foundation. But I think once we, you know, now that there are some of these high profile, um, you know, female officials that, you know, are officiating in, in Europe and, and, you know, South, you know, in, um, Africa, you know, I think there is, uh, the potential, right, to grow this body of research. And I think that's where Liz and I are both so excited to be able to revisit these topics and say, what has come out since the last time we talked about this? And then how does that new information shift our perspective or shift the way we think about this? And so we want to hear from people. We want, you know, if people find research or find an interesting take on something, um, you know, as long as it's well supported, I'm happy to kind of read it. I mean, I'll read it if it's not well supported. I just might not bring it up. Uh, but, <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, but I, I, this is an exciting thing. And, um, I don't know, I, I love nerding out about stuff and, uh, yeah, I, I love the intersection of soccer and research and I think it's really awesome. Um, so yeah, definitely. Uh, we, um, 
we could we definitely cover and talk about all these things all night for sure. But uh, you know, for the sake of, of moving on and covering other things, we're going to do that. Um, but we'll we'll round round uh, back to that at the end of the episode. Are you ladies cool to stay on and talk about River Hounds at the end as well? Sure. Awesome. That's what I, I was also fifty percent excited definitely. to bring you on for this. So, uh, but first, we're going to dive into some USL <laughs> news. Um, Ryan, you want to start us off with this uh, Hudson River der- uh, Derby that might be happening here in the near future? Of course. So during this uh, past Sunday, the Hudson River Derby was going on, which saw New York Red Bull of uh, 2-1 over NYCFC. But the big news that pertained to USL released during that game was talk of where uh, David Villa's potential USLC club would be playing. And it was announced that they would be at a city field home of the New York Mets and that they'd be paying rent in the stadium upwards of $250,000 a match, going out to $4.25 million across a 17-game season, not including playoffs for Open Cup or exhibition games. And while it's already been kind of leaked that Nvidia is going to get his uh, club in New York and it'd be USO's first club in New York, it just makes me curious, like, how much money does this group have to spend? Because Davidia isn't going to pay... $4.25 million just for renting the place when we've seen from recent reports from stock takes saying that USL expansion clubs are running at five to $7 million just to get the expansion team. I'm just curious, like how much money does this site have? What's the feasibility? It almost seems like you would want to learn from the mistakes of NYCFC and just have the stadium ready before you move into the league. Well, you talk about rent, um, you got to also talk about construction costs. You know, it costs a certain amount to put something in the middle of Missouri or Kansas, you know, with Sporting Kansas City or St. Louis's potential stadium. It costs a whole different amount to put maybe half of that in one of the five boroughs in New York City. And these rent prices kind of show how ridiculous it is to even do anything on the coasts. You know, we're looking at how long it took San Diego to uh, get something going and how hard it's been to find any other uh, California independent clubs in between. Um, OC has been pulling it off for a while, but it's hard. It's really expensive on the coast. And this is a league that isn't, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money with a USL club. Um, so I don't know, Laura Ellen, Liz, you guys spend any time in NYC? It's a little closer to you than it is to me. <laughs> What do you think about Not a team in Queens? <laughs> I mean, the only, the, only, sorry, I mean, the only thing I can think about is it's another baseball stadium. So maybe part of that rent means they're going to make sure that the uh, the field's better. Hmm. Question mark? Probably not. Or just the labor like, involved in making it okay. <laughs> let's just make it not a hazard so that someone doesn't break it. Like, like That's all I'm waiting to see on mm-hmm. some of these baseball fields. They're horrendous and terrifying. So, I mean, that's my only thought. I don't like it because it's a baseball field. <laughs> mm-hmm. Laura Ellen, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, I think this, uh, I mean, certainly this this own situation has its, you know, unique components. But I think one of the things, at least for me, and uh, now I'm, I'm completely blanking, but I listened to this um, podcast, and this was a while ago. So Kevin Sparks, who's on... Um, Mongols uh, shared it with us, uh, but it was talking about the differences in league setup between the Premier League and MLS versus USL. And so I, I, I just wonder, you know, 
So because USL is owned, like each team is owned by an individual owner versus the MLS, right? What we saw with the whole Columbus crew fiasco, um, you know, it's corporately owned, you know, and that's the same with the NFL. The NFL is corporately owned as well. Um, they, you know, the owners own a share of the NFL, um, essentially, but, um, and so, you know, I think for me, like a lot of these costs, you know, I think Ryan, I think you bring up a good point. Like how, how much money are these people willing to invest? And, you know, something that I've heard, right. Most soccer teams and specifically USL teams are not going to break even or even make money in at least in the beginning, however many years, if ever. And so I think it's just one of those things, like for me, you have to find owners that this is just their love project and they just have like a, like $2 billion or something to like invest, I guess, especially if you're going to be in New York city, um, which was my roundabout way of saying for this specific situation, that seems insanely high. And I feel like you could feed a lot of people for that amount of money, but um, that's my own perspective. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, that, that's a hard one to go into in the middle of this, but, um, not that you're wrong. I, I will say that I think you are swaying my thoughts in one way in that, in that I, you know, I was about to go off on the business side of things, how USL is always good about the business side of things. They have clubs that aren't just going to go bankrupt in a couple of years for the most part. And this just goes way against that, obviously. This, this is not a business model. This is a money loser any way you look at it. There's nothing good going on here. But if it is a passion project, now maybe they could spend it on other things. Well, well done there. But <laughs> if it is a passion pro- project and they don't mind losing that much every year or they need the tax deductions if they're making too much money in their other companies... I can see this working in that way. And who are we to say what they should do with their money, I suppose. if. And honestly, I really want pro soccer in the boroughs. I really, really do. Um, I mean, if this is a passion project, do you think that there's any plans to do um, some kind of academy along with it? Because that's usually what props up a lot of these pro sides to me is the academy stuff. And if he's that invested in, in New York, maybe he's invested in soccer youth. So like Atlanta has at their bus stops and, or t-stops subway stops whatever they are like the mini the mini soccer fields um and those kinds of things maybe this is something bigger that's happening um and that could be okay yeah great point i've heard that in california and texas and new york those are three of the hot spots where kids are like really talented soccer players are just falling through the cracks like crazy so that's a good point for sure and wouldn't hurt to have some more there be fair for the national team player that is shredded in 10 way of recent seasons. And it just seems like in a population of 26 million people, we know that there's at least more than one 10 way that exists in New York, I guess. So, it, so building up from an Academy would definitely help this side, but I guess to bring us towards a more larger league perspective. So we would have a team in New York and a potential and a team on the way in Chicago. Just, it seems like USL is starting to like not avoid MLS markets as much and starts to want to enter their these markets. So it makes me curious how long until USL wants to start inter- poking the beast a bit more and moving into more MLS markets. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, uh, let's move on though. And with new markets, we're talking about Dillon stadium next officially open for art Hartford athletic. Um, they won against Indy 11, two to one the other day, a kind of a surprise for everyone, but they've been known to do that kind of thing. 
and maybe the new stadium gave him a little bit of motivation there. Ryan, you have a few more uh, facts for us on this one. Yeah, so it was a capacity of 5,500 crowd, which I definitely, it helps that they were playing in their own place finally rather than doing games up at UConn's football stadium. But while the stadium is not fully complete, it is safe to play in. But it's just good to see that Hartford has finally figured out their stadium for the foreseeable future. It looks good. I think it's a great stadium, especially to start with, you know. Um, so, yeah. That'll be great. New stadiums, Louisville City published uh, their season ticket prices for the year, and they're not outrageous. Isn't that nice to see? Uh, Ryan, I, I saw several tweets about this, but Ryan, I think you have a few more exact numbers here. Yep, so the lowest amount would be the supporter section in the Waterfront Inn in Butchertown, and which I also really love the naming, or just the names for these sides. It makes it gives it that old kind of English football stadiums of like ends of the stadium, <laughs> but that uh, season tickets would run at $16 a game for a total of two seventy two, And the highest season tickets would be eleven Oh five at $65 a game. Now I don't have a USL team in my home, so I'm not sure what season ticket prices are, but at least for Liz and Laura, for at least the river hounds, if you, what could you tell how competitive would these season tickets be towards what Louisville was doing? Yeah, they're pretty close. I mean, so our we're we run a little bit lower, but um, I think for a new stadium and some hype, I don't think that um, the the sixteen dollars for a supporter section is outrageous, and even the sixty five dollars per game. I mean, we live in Pittsburgh, so if you want to go to a Steelers game or. <laughs> Um, hmm. you can go to see the pirates for pretty cheap, but their parking prices are out of control. So really this is still the the best price on the market. So I think this is, it's pretty comparable and, um, to have some hype behind the new stadium. Uh, I'm okay with it. I think it's great that they kept it reasonable. Yeah. I think we, I sit right outside where the Luligans are and I think it's 15 a game. So very comparable. And so, yeah, props to them because you know, that's not cheap. Uh, but at least they get to keep their own money. Their own, you know, all the money that's spent there goes to them now. So that's a that's a good thing as well. It wasn't the case at uh, Slugger Field for sure. I know that was part of the reason their uh, rosters have always been uh, historically uh, smaller than other teams. Um, less money to spend there. Um, other rumors swirling around: uh, USL wants to expand to New Orleans, Mobile, Tallahassee, Pensacola, Gulfport. They're hitting the southeast. Uh, this is interesting because a couple of those cities have been mentioned in a few other leagues. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned some of those here. Let us let us know some of these facts. So Manola Justers, formerly of NPSL, is currently on a hiatus, so there's no team in New Orleans, but AFC Mobile is the number famous side of the Gulf Coast Premier League, and a lot of other just non-league sides are in the city. From the tweet that I saw from American Non-League Pyramid, I believe was the source, it's that the... USL wants to enter these markets, but it's not. It's unclear if these markets are going to be with these clubs directly. But as of yet, these clubs haven't been contacted by the league, so the league may just want these markets. But I mean, specifically, New Orleans would make a very good USL championship location. You'd have Birmingham and Memphis very close by, and then you would have any of those other cities that I named. Mobile or Pensacola would be very good USL. One markets. I know USL League One did take a visit to Alabama specifically into Huntsville. So it's they are at least exploring the region. So it'll be interested, interesting going forward to see the league potentially move into NOLA, which is 
I just think a city that can very well support this scene. Yes, they can very easily. Um, I do want to point out that that is one of the unfortunate parts of the USL. You know, USL gets it right in a lot of different ways, but, and I understand why they do it. I really do. Um, so while they don't want too many teams in one area because there may not be enough money, enough fans, enough marketing to go around to cover those two if they're in the same league and they'll end up competing with each other. But um, there's like this non-compete in certain, you know, areas, in certain regions of the United States with USL where they'll give someone the club and then no one else can go in there. You know, so like what Omaha was was announced recently, no one else in Omaha is allowed to get in there. And that's Ryan, I think that's where you're getting with the GCPL teams weren't contacted here, right? You know, so it seems more that the teens will exist regardless, but USO just wants the markets themselves. And once you, once the league gives a market to an ownership group, it doesn't matter if the teens exist or not. They couldn't possibly move into the league, but we don't know if this is like Chattanooga good situation where they ask the existing team, Hey, do you want to help branch and move up with this hmm. or not? Yes. So those backroom conversations love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, Liz, this seems like the kind of question or the kind of thought process you might kind of want to dive into. Yeah, I think it's really hard, especially because we've seen a number of places um, have supporters groups before they've had the team. And I don't think that's going to change with soccer growing. And I don't know if USL is maybe shooting themselves in the foot a little bit if they're going to tie up these markets um, with some of their requirements. If there are a number of, you know, bigger cities that each want an individual identity, do they really need to have just one team um, for that regional area? Do they have to have a 5,000 seat stadium? I mean, why wouldn't you um, be willing to work with these communities to have a little bit of ownership? I guess that probably is because I talk to a lot of people from overseas and watch EPL. So like you root for your team and whether or not they started off as a pub team or they've been in the EPL for years, um, it's okay to have a bunch of different soccer to watch all in the same area and their schedules are different or they play against each other in different times. So I just, I wonder if it's short-sighted or um, if it's the right decision in order to keep the sport growing. Yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation with Chris Kivlihan like four, no man, maybe six episodes ago now. And it's one of my favorite episodes of the season um, as far as like an interview I did. Um, because that was kind of something we like organically accidentally stumbled upon was like, I think perhaps we have enough fans and enough money to support multiple teams in each city. We don't have to hate each other. We can just go to our soccer games and, and support it. And maybe more players have jobs. It's not necessarily all bad thing. And that was just kind of something we stumbled upon that I don't think I felt that way before we talked about it. Laurel, and do you think, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, you think you guys could handle another team if it was a similar level or Division Three? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, fair. I don't, I don't think it's a bad think, example. Yeah, I, I want to use Pittsburgh as an example. I think, um, you know, I just think because of, many factors you know i think because of the historical nature of the steelers which is our nfl team and the pirates which is our mlb team uh, the penguins which is our nhl team 
you know, I think those are such large staples of the community um, that I think the Riverhounds have had a really difficult time breaking into um, the fan base. I think it's happening. And I think, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was, you know, the Academy, the Riverhounds Academy is really strong and is doing really amazing stuff. And it's, it's great to see. And, and they're engaging the community in, in so many different ways. Uh, and so I think through the Academy, hopefully the fan base will grow, you know, but I also think, you know, there's just, there's not that culture of soccer here in Pittsburgh yet. So I don't think Pittsburgh is a good example of, of a city that could support another uh, team. What I do wonder about, yeah, you know, having multiple teams in a city does give more players more opportunity to play or more, you know, more athletes opportunity to play. I do wonder what that does to um, like salary levels. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that, you know, is kind of, you know, we had the USL players union that started, I haven't heard much from them um, kind of since they came into existence before the season started or right around when the season started. But um, just thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, are these players getting living wages? You know, I've, heard of players who have you know after games they go drive for Lyft and Uber to make ends meet you know or you know they're coaching for the academy you know whenever they're not you know whenever they're not playing whenever they're not practicing they're coaching in order to make ends meet and so I just wonder if there are um you know I just wonder if there are other um ways to address some of the quality of living for our existing players before we really try and bring more people into that. That said, you know, I love watching soccer. And so, you know, more opportunities to do that, I think is great. I don't know if Laura, um, if you caught it at the beginning, Laura Ellen mentioned that she's a uh, social worker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I love it. I love it. Humanizing the situation. Um, whereas, you know, I'm a capitalist by trade. And so, you know, I have a black heart for sure. It's good to have different perspectives. It really is. It really is. But I mean, the funny thing, though, is that the first thing you said is that Pittsburgh probably couldn't handle to. And that's the USL side where they're like, hey, we want to have strong clubs in good cities. We can't have them competing. So there's two sides to that for sure. And each city can be different. um, But I really love that that you did bring in the union. You know, there's not much coming out. I've been asking like crazy everyone I know about the union and they just can't talk right now. And so um, but I think there are a lot of things on the horizon that we need to be watching for. So that's something to always kind of be asking around about and and, uh, being aware that that our players that we love so much aren't necessarily getting uh, what they deserve. So uh, a lot of changes to that in the future, let's hope. Um, But speaking of one of those players who's been around for a long time, probably had some really bad salaries in his lifetime. Chandler Hoffman is to uh, miss the rest of the Birmingham season with a PCL rupture. Ryan, you have a few more thoughts here. It's a big blow for Legion to lose their captain and leading goal scorer in their season. Chandler Hoffman has scored four goals across 17 games. Although it allows a chance for other players on Legion to step up, but it is one indictment of their season that their leading goal scorer only has four goals. But Chandler Hoffman will certainly be missed by Birmingham this season. And you just hate to see any player at any level just get injured and especially miss the season. Yeah, especially Chandler Hoffman. You, you know, his stats aren't incredible. I think you mentioned that. But 
Um, it, I think part of that is because he's getting double teamed and the other guys, you know, are having to kind of make up for that. And so his stats are looking low. The man's worth the money. I've seen him in action. He's so talented. Um, and so this definitely hurts uh, Birmingham for sure. Interesting to see what will happen to them from here on, if they look for a loan or what. Uh, but, you know, speaking of adding players, Phoenix Rising add an incredible player in Liverpool, U23 player, former uh, at this point, Corey, is it Whelan or Whalen? He's a defender. Yeah, I'm going to go with Whalen as well. It's Irish. He's an Irish U21. Um, but he was released from Liverpool this summer. Um, joined the, he was in the academy since age nine, captain the U23 side. And Phoenix got him on a free transfer. This is a huge signing, Ryan. I mean, huge to get this kind of player into the USL. You, I mean, you could see a guy like this going to MLS, right? Yeah, and what's big is he signed a multi-year deal with Phoenix, so it seems like someone who's in it for the long run. And I don't honestly think that to come to USL is a more beneficial move for him as a player than to come to MLS. And MLS, if you have a player of that caliber, I'd almost imagine that they'd send him through some kind of allotment allocation order, mm. and he wouldn't get placed on the team that would like him or a team that would use him appropriately but this was phoenix going out and making the big signing to get this guy on a free transfer and also it's a testament to how well their scouting report is doing i think the fact that a usl club is able to swoop in and find a player who was at anfield this past summer with their u23 side and get him on a free transfer that's something that like no other team in the league has saw or no other MLS team had ran into. So this is an unbelievable move of a rich team just getting richer, a side that I think will be pushing heavily for USL title to avenge their loss in the final last season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. This is really cool. My, you know, my favorite part was, you know, that interesting thought about any kind of order of allocation with MLS. This is a lot more clean cut, isn't it? And maybe he can move on from uh, USL. And maybe Phoenix can get some money out of it. That's really cool. Um, so that's such a cool, 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 cool signing. Uh, we need more of those in the USL. We've been getting more and more of them every year. A lot of like ex-USMNT guys coming in as well. Just a nice mix of interesting players coming in. It's been really fun. Uh, US Open I, Cup. Oh, go wait, ahead. Uh, please do. Before we move yeah. on. I, wanna... I just... I would just love thoughts. I mean, I think that's an interesting, you know, who knows what the connection was between Phoenix rising and them knowing that this player was now available, you know, had been released from the Liverpool Academy and was available. So I, I wonder if they're like, to what degree are some of these teams in the USL, you know, I know, <clears throat> you know, we'll talk about the river hounds later, but uh, you know, I know Bob Lilly, like, does a lot of like even division two scouting here in the U S and kind of looking at what players, you know, don't get picked up after the MLS combine, those kinds of things, but looking internationally, um, you know, at some of these, you know, big academies are, you know, are USL coaches, like does the USL coaching staff from individual teams or even from the league as a whole have the capacity to kind of keep their eyes out for some of these players who are getting cut from European academies, but could be successful and could have a career in the U S um, just, you know, a question, just a thought. Yeah. Without a doubt, Ryan, you had another thought there. I mean, I believe 
especially playing in a top six Premier League academy and doing so since the age of nine, and he is going to be more than talented enough to be able to play in USL. Someone who basically had lived, eat, and breathed soccer or football from that age will be able to be very successful in this league. But I think it represents a very big split in how well, signings and player transfers is going to be approached. We've seen we've seen this old USL 1.0 where teams would basically go after the same amount of the same types of players season after season, or you would just look around for colleges or other teams within the region. And now you're getting teams like Phoenix. who are going after these big international stars or looking at other nations to try and fill out their rosters. And you can almost see the split with these teams that the ones who are going to take advantage of going international are going to be the ones that succeed while the ones who look around their region may fall behind or may have to find new ways to revitalize their transfer market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, man, if you look at that with the uh, players association, the, the union that might be happening where people are starting to look for more expensive players, but then they might have to pay more for the guys that aren't going to be expensive and, and highly sought after. It's a weird dichotomy, you know, like, I, you know, it's kind of what I'm getting at earlier when you just look at what's going to happen. It's going to be difficult for owners. They're going to have to put a lot more money into it or find ways to save money on players in other ways, maybe at the top. You know, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt the league. It's going to hurt the owners. It's going to help the players as it should in all of those ways. But it'll be one of those things we got to kind of work around. Um, but the other thing about this is Phoenix um, this is the way I put it in the USL Twitter account, a uh, bit of an embarrassment of riches. They already have really good center backs and this guy's going to come into a rotation of, I think Mala or Mela is, uh, already playing all the time. And then AJ Cochran and Farrell are, uh, rotating in and out. Who knows who's going to take over for who there. Um, but you know, four very quality center backs. They're going to be, in the back there for Phoenix, that's nothing but good for them, a team that's already hot and on fire. Interesting. Um, I do want to talk about the Open Cup shortly, and then we'll talk about the River Hounds. Um, it's my team, so I'm going to do it. St. Louis. <laughs> um, denied. Denied. <laughs> <laughs> denied, of course. It was 1-0 most of the game. Uh, St. Louis bunkered. Um, you know, they bunkered as well as they could, and, and they held out for a really long time, you know, except for the one goal. Uh, and then they got a second at the end on a uh, on a penalty kick, uh, foul in the box from Sean Reynolds. He had not much choice. Atlanta was knocking on the door a lot throughout the game, but you have to hand it to St. Louis for doing a good job being organized. They even forced a lot of turnovers with the nice, you know, the triggered press at the right moment. They didn't do anything with it, unfortunately. And, you know, you can tell there's a difference in, in talent level there. Um, but... I was proud of my USL team going up against an Atlanta United side that was first team players through and through. Uh, they took no chances. They played their first, their starting 11, as far as I could tell. They do rotate some, but um, anyway, uh, I should be proud of that team. They got the money. I don't know if everyone, anyone saw that, but New Mexico United and St. Louis, people thought they were going to split it because they went out in the same round. Well, St. Louis beat two MLS sides, and that was the tiebreaker instead of New Mexico beating one. So St. Louis goes home with $25,000 in cash, which is good because they've lost three wingers this month. 
three <laughs> attacking um, wing attackers. So um, they need that money. They could use it for a lot of different things. And um, anyway, a good run for St. Louis. I only watched some of the New Mexico game, I think for obvious reasons. Uh, Santi Moar had a really great goal early on. They scored the first one, and then the floodgates were opened. Anyone else watch this one? Yeah, I watched the first half, and by then I think that was enough that I needed to see. I think at halftime, yeah. Minnesota was up 4-1, and it was already clearly over. Big props to the Curse. who made the long plane travel from Albuquerque up to Minnesota, but Minnesota United looked determined not to be embarrassed, not to lose this one, and they just came out oh, just firing on all cylinders after giving up the opening goal. They settled down, and we saw the result. It ended up at 6-1 Minnesota. Big props to New Mexico for getting that opening goal, but the MLS side prevailed here and there's really not much else. It's something that both league, both teams, St. Louis and Minnesota can, and sorry, New Mexico can now focus on the league to try and reposition themselves for the playoffs. Yes. Both teams struggling in league play. St. Louis especially struggling. So both teams kind of needed this to happen at some point, you know, just get it over with so we can really focus on league play and not rotate and play our starting 11 and let people get used to each other again. Um, with the same 11 over and over. I'm looking forward to it as a St. Louis fan at this point. Proud of what they did, but let's move on and get into those playoffs and, and make a make a statement. Um, I'm going to skip over the news that, uh, just mention it, New York Red Bulls 2 beat Atlanta United 2, 8-1 to one this week. Ouch. I don't know if we want to talk about it. Moving on. I just wanted to put it in just as... It's been the highest scoring, I think, for one team only this season. And that the fact that the Baby Bulls have scored more, more goals in, in that game than Rutgers football scored in four games this past college football season. <laughs> Rutgers scored three points in a loss against Ohio State and then just seven points in losses against Maryland, Penn State, and Michigan. So baby bo- hashtag Baby Bulls to the Big Ten. <laughs> oh, bless. <laughs> I was I was about to be like, man, why pick on Rutgers? They got enough problems, but I guess they're a New Jersey team as well, right? New Jersey State University. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. I want to talk about the River Hounds. I've been so excited to talk about the River Hounds. <laughs> I had some uh, uh, uncharacteristic hot takes that we're going to get to eventually early in the season. I've been proved wrong for sure, but I've been excited to talk about this. Laura Ellen. I got excited to you in DMs, and I hope I'm not saying too much here. You were not a happy camper. Oh, no. Um, I think I was on. Yeah, I was on Mongols. Oh, this was probably like a month ago now, a month and a half ago. And I was just, you know, Mike, uh, the host of the show, said, okay, you know, like, what's one good thing that's happened so far this season? And the best thing that I could come up with was. Um, that the food has been good <laughs> at the stadium. So that's where I was. But, you know, I think the past month and a half, June was an amazing month. Um, the Steel Army, which is our supporters group, did a pride raiser. And, uh, you know, the Riverhounds, like, showed up and scored, what was it, Liz, like 13 goals, 16 goals in June? I mean, Anyway, I mean, it was just like incredible to watch. Um, and so, yeah, so, and then we lost. We did, a, you know, Bob did a lot of heavy rotation against Charlotte and um, hmm. we ended up losing to them, which, you know, I love Hugh Roberts. 
you know, cause he was on our team and we shouldn't have let him go last year. He now plays for Charlotte, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about that. Like, I think that was a poor tactical decision on Bob's part. And I think the players just didn't do well in that. Um, and then, you know, we came home this past weekend and played uh, the Rowdies and came out in a draw, um, which, you know, I feel okay about that. I, I don't know. I, I'm feeling very bittersweet after last season. You know, we had such a great kind of start to the season. Um, but, you know, <laughs> now we're just now it's just like I feel like all we do is draw. But I know, Liz, you have such um, more positive opinions about I mean, the rounds. Overall, I think I get more positive. Than you. We had a lot of draws last year, too. It's just the rest of the league. It felt like the people who were losing were losing all the time. And those who were winning, yeah. you know, like there wasn't this. It wasn't as compact. Like There were a couple of pockets where it was compact. But this this whole table is just, I mean, a lot of it is really smushed there um, together. And there are, I think there are a lot more draws for other teams in general. Um, And so this year us being like, Oh, we keep getting one point is just not good enough because there's not enough teams getting no points, which is great. I mean, I want everyone to get better. I want the league to get better, but everyone's like, Oh, well, all we do is draw. all we did last year and it worked. <laughs> it's yeah, very good point there. That's a really good point. Uh, just to kind of give you what the last six games were for the Riverhounds, they drew Tampa Bay Rowdies. They lost to Charlotte. Um, Laura Ellen alluded to those, but there were four wins before that, and that's the kind of the streak, a white hot streak that the Riverhounds were on. That were I don't know. They kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, a lot of goals suddenly. Uh, Three Honest Legs joked. I, I took it kind of seriously. They were just joking that Lily decided to uh, work on scoring goals and training for the first time ever. But um, but no, I, I think, Liz, you're giving us a, more, a better insight from a fan who watches them more closely that the draws are not a new thing. That's, that's a good point. Six uh, wins, eight draws, three losses. That is, to me, a team that can climb out pretty easily. I know you guys have said that on Mongols. You guys are in eighth place, so... Is that a good spot to be? Is it a bad spot to be, Laura Allen? Or Laura Allen? Yeah, Laura Allen, talk there. about your stats because yes, you have yes, a very complicated table. It's, it's really not that complicated. So I have a table of the Eastern Conference uh, because, I mean, that was exactly my question, especially at the beginning of the season when I think we had – there was a point when we had one win – one loss and like five draws or something. Um, And also just kind of like to point out, and this is where my table comes in to point out, we're also a couple games behind um, most of the other teams in the Eastern conference right now. Um, So, so my table has um, the, the total number of points to date, the number of games we've played, the number of games we have yet to play. And then the, the, it's not really anything fancy, but it's looking at um, the average points per game and then taking the total number of points that we currently have and then multiplying our average points per game um, by the number of games that we have left, adding those numbers together and then looking at where the rank is um, a- across the Eastern Conference. That sounds very confusing. I can put no, 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 no. So <laughs> tell me, tell me what you came up with, though. So yeah, so um, so we're we're essentially, you know, using that projection, we're staying in eighth place. We're saying like, wow, yeah. So which which I think, and I think for me, you know, um, I think some of the more positive uh, 
folks in the river hounds community and on mongols would say like oh but you know like we could can we could win more games and you know that kind of thing and sure that's fine but kind of where we have put ourselves where the team has put themselves in the table by this point in the season we're there's there's only so much we can catch up and so Yes, we could. We There is the potential that we could win out the rest of the season, and then that would look very different. But the chances of that happening are incredibly low. Um, so just looking at past performance and using that to predict future performance, um, you know, I think we're going to stay in like seventh or eighth place. I would be honestly, I would be surprised if we got, if we finished any higher than like sixth place um, in the league by the end of the season. Now that still puts us in the playoffs. That still means we can win the league. Mm. Like I was saying at the beginning of the season, but you know, I mean, I just, I mean, we're not going to like win the regular season. Sure. 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 And I don't know if Lily ever aims for that. He's, I think he's done it a couple of times for sure, but he did it with Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. I think more than once. So, um, it's happened and it's not a bad strategy. There are a lot of teams doing that and succeeding around the world. Um, I, I, I want to go back. I want to take us back because, um, Liz, you say that, you annoy the hell out of your husband. You guys have to sit in different seats. Well, <laughs> I annoyed the hell out of your husband earlier in the season, right around when it was one win and five draws or whatever the heck it was when I, when I started talking about it. But I did get worried. And, and my biggest worry was the personnel, which getting rid of Hugh, you know, and, you know, there were a few other things that had, like the Francois deal was really cool. Um, but, you know, if you watch Lily, it's almost like, I don't know, but it almost seems like he gets a little too worried if someone's pants get kind of big and he gets rid of them and thinks he can fill that hole with anyone. And I got worried that he he did that too much this year without bringing in anyone else that that could fill those spots that of high talent. You know, you see all the really big signings, stuff like Phoenix. Riverhounds isn't going to do that, but I was worried about you know guys like um, Dos Santos, who's had a few bad seasons. I was worried about um, why am I blanking? It starts with a V. The other striker that is from St. Louis. Christian Valeski. Thank you, Valeski. I was worried about those two. And there are a few other guys around, some great players for Riverhound still, but I was just worried, right? And I started to wonder, well, maybe this goes past personnel decisions. Maybe Lily's stuff used to work back then, and it just doesn't anymore, and, and the season has passed him by. I think with those four games, we've seen him adjust and figure something out. And so I do want to admit that I'm 100% wrong about Lily not being able to figure the, the league out anymore. Um, but, but it's hard. I mean, I don't think that you're wrong in, in having that kind of analysis. And so I do the full 90, which shows up on the Mongols feed as well. And interviewing some people in this last episode, like someone was like, do you want to know what happened with the rowdies? Lily happened. Like that's what he does is he bunkers Mm. and everyone knows that he bunkers. I do think that he is seeing the league change. And I think that he's trying to change that. Um, I think that he wants to be more attacking. He is definitely telling like the preseason games we play at, at very small stadiums. We're like right behind him, listening to him and like dying mm. at him yelling, like the things that he yells all season is just phenomenal. But listening to him, I mean, he's like forward, forward, you're too far back. You can't, like, he doesn't want them to sit back in the same way. He also expects um, people to be um, interchangeable, which I think is a, 
is okay and that's fine. You don't want to not have enough depth, especially, you know, with um with some of these USL sides that don't have a ton of money. So you only have so many players and you got to be a little bit versatile. But I think that he may have taken that too far this season. And I don't think that we really have, we didn't get to see our players and, and our guys own a position um, mm. up until like maybe, maybe the turning point, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago where I was like, Oh, I finally feel like they know where they're supposed to be on the field and they're allowed to kind of own that. Um, so like Van Zeal, he is all over the place. He plays like he plays right in center and he's back and forth. He's back and forth. And I think that at the beginning of the season, he was asked to kind of pick. He was, you know, staying in the center. Don't go to the, the, the don't go to the wings. And he's not having to do that anymore. You see him all over the field and he's not winded and he's able to keep up. So um, Lily, I think, has let go a little bit of that control. Frankie, who plays on the left, he has been able to cement that mid left and he has owned that position and he's getting better at distributing the ball, which I think is really great for a newer player to the team. But I'm just starting to see those things. I could never have said those things at the beginning of the season. I was like, I don't know who we're going to play and I don't know where we're going to play them. Hmm. So I think that he has done some learning this season and we're not going to finish like we did last year. Last year was amazing and we celebrated and it was so exciting because Riverhounds have had some hard history and we cry a lot, but we got to be excited (laughs) last year. I think this year we have to get excited because we're learning to play in, in this new developing USL and I think we will go farther in the playoffs. I think we'll make it to playoffs. I think we're going to maybe not have the first home match, but I think that we might get to go farther in the playoffs because Lily has seen that he has to change his mindset a little bit and he's working on it. A hundred percent. You gave us some very tangible ways that he's working on it. That is so helpful Liz. thank you so much. And I want to say that my favorite thing that you said is he likes guys to be interchangeable. That is way better than what I said. <laughs> I tried to dramatic, dramatize, dramatic, uh, tried to make it dramatic, basically dramatize the situation when really that's what he does. He likes guys to be interchangeable. That's a good thing for resting legs and all those other reasons. So, um, anyway, um, I think you make some really good points. I, the last thing I want to say, and then I want to give you guys some kind of final thoughts before we, we finish this thought. But, um, I do think that he figured something out. I legitimately do. And I think you can maybe draw a line at or before or well before those four game winning streaks. And I do think it'll fall back down a little bit again. But I do think, I don't think it's going to be eighth place. I really think you figure something out and it's going to be better from here on out uh, through the end of the season. And I do think they can make a good playoff run any year, any given year. Lily could have his day. So that's my last thought. Laura Ellen, what, what are you, what's your final thought about the, the Hounds for the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, I think, I hope they have figured things out. It, it seems, you know, how we played against the Rowdies. Um, you know, I think overall we were the better team. Um, you know, but uh, I, yeah, I just, I think that, um, I think I, I do have concerns, right? Because at the beginning of the season, he brought back all these players that he had had. You know, he brought back Ryan James, he brought back Valeski. Um, and then, you know, some of the decisions that he made about who to bring back from last season, you know, I think it, I, and I think one of the things and, and Justin, um, pulled together, um, and he looked at kind of the string of games at the end of last season, going into the beginning of this season, and it was not good. You know, it's not kind of like what you typically think of as Lily, 
the quality of, of soccer that and the quality of results that you see from Lily looking at the end of last season because the Riverhounds didn't go into the playoffs with wins. They went into the playoffs with a string of draws and a loss um, at the end of last season. And then the beginning of the season, it didn't start well either. And so I think that, um, you know, I think the, the, I think Lily has figured it out. I think also something has clicked with the players that they have figured it out on, on and off the field. And I don't know if it's just that the players have finally kind of resigned themselves to trust Lily and trust his system, or if, um, you know, there, there was, you know, there's some new chemistry because I think that's that's also what I'm seeing. I'm seeing this new chemistry on the field between the players, um, and I really like to see that. What do you think, Liz? Yeah, uh, I'm really excited to see us play more like we did for the first half of that Rowdies game. I was surprised how good that first half made me feel. And if we had gotten a draw and continued to play like we did that first half, I would have been perfectly happy the second half like we just i don't know what we did we fell apart a little bit at the seams like we we just started to unravel at the edges and it was very frustrating to watch because of the first half and i think that watching that would just be so much i don't know it keeps the momentum going both for the team and the players um who are really great about coming over and they're really great about you know spending time on the field with the kids afterwards but it gives momentum for the supporters group like i really feel like the steel army has has changed a lot this year and we've brought on a lot of of new faces and to watch that happen on the field and be able to talk about these specific details and oh my god did you see that run did you see that pass and talk about the statistics it's really changing how the whole game feels for me from you know from tailgate through the end of the full 90. So I'm just, I don't know. I'm really positive about the overall experience this year. It's really changed and it's given me a lot to think about. And I've learned a lot this year. Love it. Love it. I like bringing the, uh, the audience reaction to that as well. Ryan, any thoughts about the river hounds this year from you? Yeah, just to kind of compare and contrast uh, my rating system compared to Laura Ellen. And currently right now I have the river hounds sitting in a tie for sixth place. Although I have them in that seventh place spot. Throughout the season, they've been about as high as fifth in recent weeks when they go through that run. So I do think fifth place is more than attainable, but I do, but I believe that will be end up being the ceiling for the side this year. But it's still within striking distance. The big goal that the Riverhounds are going to have to do is they're going to want to avoid that seventh place, seventh through tenth place spot because you do not want to go through the play-in game. And just to have an additional one, you want to be in that top six just to be in the playoffs proper, not to have that additional match. But overall, going forward, I have full confidence that the Riverhounds will be in the top 10, will make the playoffs. It's just going to come down to seeding if they, they will be above that playing game line or below it. Love it. Love it. The uh, stats department having their say there. And I do want to say Laura Ellen's uh, way of, of figuring out the ranking, you know, power rankings or projections for the end of the season seems really similar to what Pony does as well. And um, if you didn't listen to that stats show, I posted it last Friday, finally, I believe. Um, so listen to Ryan and Pony going over their rankings and, and projections. Um, it's the special stats show on the USL feed. If you uh, subscribe to this podcast, and I hope you do. Um, last thoughts. Let's talk. Let's bring it back to soccer better. 
I confuse it with a movement in St. Louis called Better Together. I realized that halfway through this <laughs> this thing. Um, I feel like we're on the same page with them, so it might be fine. Yeah, actually, I think you might might have something there, to be honest. But um, yeah, each of you, let's give a final thought about what's in the future for a soccer better and, um, and maybe a, a final thought for the night and where they can find you. Liz, let's start with you. So, so, I mean, our greatest challenge is going to be continuing to find academic papers that discuss topics that are relevant to soccer. So just diving into that world a little bit more, because I've been out of school for a hot minute. Um, I read a lot of regulations. I read a lot of policy, but I don't get to live in that research world. And getting back into that has been, I'm just, I'm enjoying it so much. So I'm really excited to see where the research goes for me. Um, I really miss doing the research piece of things. Um, you can find me, I think it's Brocall E on Twitter at Brocall E. I think it's Brocall Elizabeth. I just oh, typed man. it out. You know what? I don't even know myself. Look <laughs> up soccer better. And sometimes they link stuff to me. And then, you, you know, so it's at BGN soccer better. And you can find me from there. It'll be fine. Perfect. Laura Ellen, final thoughts? Yeah, I think um, we forgot to mention earlier, but Soccer Better comes out on the 15th of every month. So we are a monthly podcast. It's a bit of a longer form. We tend to be right around an hour, um, but it does take a lot of work and a lot of energy. Um, and so that's why we only come out once a month. If this were our full-time jobs, maybe we would you know, have more episodes, but you know, this is where we're starting. So I think, um, yeah, I am just really excited about the potential. I think... Um, for me, it's been a really fun way to engage kind of these two parts of my life, which is, you know, my uh, professional side, which is academia and kind of scholarly work. And then uh, my just absolute love for the game of soccer and all things related um, to soccer. And so uh, that's been really fun. And yeah, find us on Twitter. Um, give us suggestions. I think, um, yeah, yeah let us know what you think. I, th I think that's the big thing. You know, Liz and I certainly have our own opinions and, and we tend to sometimes have different opinions about things and that's been really great. But we also know that our perspectives aren't uh, encompassing of, of all the perspectives out there, certainly. And so we want to hear from other folks and, and hear what they think. And, and that way we can, we can do our podcast better and, and we can all um, soccer better together. Yeah. Yeah. Soccer better. Guidelines. It's a part of the beautiful game network as well, just like the USL show and Mongols and all the other shows you listen to. At least I hope you are listening and subscribing to all of those shows. Ryan, any closing thoughts? You're no longer a minor. How was your uh, first major <laughs> public drinking experience? It was fun, I guess, but I'm just looking forward to getting back towards the rest of the USL season. We'll have a few midweek matches tomorrow night, and I think that we'll see towards the end of the end of this month, you'll start to see a separation of teams at the top of the Eastern Conference, mm -hmm. and it'll also determine who's going to fall in line behind Phoenix Rising, who I believe is going to run away with the Western Conference title this season. But it'll be interesting going forward, and you can find me on Twitter at ILM underscore Ryan. Yep. My closing thought is that uh, I think I said it earlier, maybe not. I'm in Florida and I'm not that far from Tampa. I'm going to spend a day in Tampa on Saturday. So I'm hoping to catch up with the unused substitutes guys, maybe some USL folks and might get to visit headquarters, which would be a lot of fun. 
uh, no crazy interview or anything like that. But, um, you know, I look, I look forward to having a good USL day on Saturday and go to the game. St. Louis versus Tampa should be a, a blast. So, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Laura Ellen for joining us today as guests. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks to Ryan as always being uh, a sturdy helper with the notes and with conversation. Um, we're the USL show. Thanks for tuning in every week. We'll uh, talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs> I think that made it. I- Thank you everyone again for listening. This is the USL show brought to you by the beautiful game network. We are also sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. It's the official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com.